Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The summer is coming to an end and we're all getting back to business. And this fall, if your company is going to invest in just one new technology, make sure it's a new phone system. Phone.com, the same people who invented VOIP phone service, delivers the most comprehensive suite of features, including talk, text, fax, audio, and video conferencing, and more at the lowest price. With Phone.com, your team can be accessible on any device from anywhere, anytime. Phone.com has advanced call screening features, so you can screen calls based on caller ID or time of call, and you can even block pesky robocalls. Phone.com even has 24-7, 365-day U.S.-based support. Phone.com's service is fully scalable for growing businesses. Your company can sound and look larger and feel bigger and more professional. Phone.com's service is so advanced and reliable that we at the Tom Hartman program decided to move our service to them. For a limited time, you can go to phone.com and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive 20% off any monthly plan. It's so easy to remember. Go to phone.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, I think this is absolutely astonishing. Tom Hartman here, uh, live from the left coast. We have a president of the United States who just asked a foreign country to bar two members of the United States Congress from visiting that country, and that country is an ally of the United States. To the best of my knowledge, in the entire history of the United States, this or anything like this has never happened before. I have no recollection of any president ever. I, this, is, this is so beyond the pale. This is so beyond the pale that the Republican, you know, one of these guys who, who takes money from the Koch brothers and is just like all in for any right-wing craziness out there, Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the Republicans in the House of Representatives, who I believe is going with this group. There's going to be uh, 31 Republicans and 41 Democrats who are going to Israel next week, leaving this weekend, going to Israel to, you know, see the country and see the, you know, the dog. I'm, I'm, you know, Israel put on a dog and pony show and show them around. And I've spent a lot of time in Israel. It's a beautiful country, wonderful people both Jews and Palestinians, and it's just an extraordinary place. And because of that, Kevin McCarthy says, well, I feel secure in that. Now, this is the Republican, right? Speaking about why Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar should not just be allowed to go with the group, but should be welcomed. They're Muslim, 
and they have spoken out against the Israeli occupation of Gaza and the expansion of, uh, of Jewish settlements in, in the West Bank and the walls and all this kind of, I mean, you know, they've spoken out against policy, but they haven't called for the end of the country or, and they haven't, you know, said things that are racist or anything like this. Here we have the president of the United States speaking out essentially against free speech in the United States, against the right of members of Congress to hold public opinions that are contrary to his. Anyhow, Kevin McCarthy said, I feel very secure in this, that anyone who comes with open ears, open eyes, and an open mind will walk away with an understanding, just as all these members here do, that this bond, and he's talking about the bond between Israel and the United States, is unbreakable. I think, and then, you know, speaking specifically about Tlaib and Omar, he says, I think all should come. So that's Kevin McCarthy, the head of the Republicans in the House of Representatives. The guy who would be Speaker of the House if Nancy Pelosi was, you know, if we didn't have a Democratic majority in the House. And then right after he says that, uh, Steny Hoyer, who's leading a delegation of Democrats, same time, you know, I believe 41 Democrats. He says, yeah, of course. And then you go to the White House and the White House spokeswoman, press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, she says, well, the Israeli government can do what it wants. And the ambassador, the Israeli ambassador to the United States, Ron Dermer, he says, you know, Israel's not going to deny entry to any member of Congress until the president of the United States. I mean, here we have these four women of color who have dared to criticize Donald Trump. That is an unforgivable sin in Trump world. And so Donald Trump tweeted that Tlaib and Omar, quote, hate Jewish people. Right? You get this? And that Netanyahu would be weak if he didn't forbid them from entering the country. Here's specifically what he said. It would show great weakness if Israel allowed Rep. Omar and Rep. Tlaib to visit. Actually, it would show great weakness if Trump tweets something and a foreign prime minister, in this case Netanyahu, jumped and did it. Isn't that the weakness? Anyhow, he goes on to say, Trump in his tweet, he goes on to say, they hate Israel and all Jewish people and there is nothing that can be said or done to change their minds. That's just a flat out lie. Neither of them have ever expressed, to the best of my knowledge, hate for Israel or Jewish people. But they have, both of them have a strong disagreement over Israeli policies. Anyhow, back to Trump's tweet. He says, Minnesota and Michigan will have a hard time putting them back in office. Right, you think? They are insanely popular in their districts. I mean, they're both polling over 70%. The American people are figuring out that this guy in the White House, in addition to being a bigot and filled with hate and rage, uh, Louise and I were having dinner last night with some friends from out of town. And one of them was like, I knew that there was something wrong with Donald Trump when I heard that he has literally never had a pet. And then Louise pointed out, well, he also brags about the fact that he's never changed a diaper. And I said, and, and I've never seen him laugh. There's something deeply wrong. There's something deeply broken. There's something deeply troubled about Trump that he would, and this is an example of it, you know, publicly tweeting to the leader of a foreign government and attacking members of the United States House of Representatives. All this stuff is so over the top that now you've got Joe Walsh, 
right? The Republican congressman from Illinois who lost his seat and went on to become a right-wing talk show host is coming out and saying, enough already. Trump is hurting Republicans. He's hurting our country. He's calling for a primary. You know, it ain't going to happen because Trump has pretty much all the Republicans just plain old flat out terrified. Joe Walsh said, Donald Trump is an unfit con man. Now, conservatives who are listening, Republicans who are listening, here is your archetype of a Republican conservative, right? He's in bed with the Koch brothers. He's in bed with all the, the right-wing billionaires. He's promoting policies that will make the rich richer, that will pollute our air, that will deny rights to LGBT people, that will deny rights to women. I mean, this, that's Joe Walsh, right? And he's calling Donald Trump an unfit con man. He's calling Donald Trump a racial arsonist, one of the guys who was most outspoken against Obama. And then Walsh comes out and he says, you know, basically, I apologize. I mean, here's what he said in the New York Times. Joe Walsh, former Republican congressman from Illinois. In Mr. Trump, I see the worst and ugliest iteration of views I expressed for the better part of a decade. To be sure, I've had my share of controversy. On more than one occasion, I questioned Mr. Obama's truthfulness about his religion. At times, I expressed hate for my political opponents. We now see where this can lead. There is no place in our politics for personal attacks like that, and I regret making them. Now, this is your Tea Party Republican congressman pointing out that when you, in particular when you lie, but I mean, you know, maybe he thought that Obama hated America or, or wasn't really a Christian or was secretly a Muslim. Maybe he actually believed that. But when you do these personal attacks, particularly when they are based in lies, but when you do these personal attacks like this, Donald Trump's saying, Representatives Omar and Tlaib, quote, hate Israel and all Jewish people and there is nothing that can be said or done to change their minds. A flat out lie and a personal attack. I mean, this is exactly what Joe Walsh just apologized for. This is poison. This is absolute poison. This is, these are cancer cells infecting our body politic, coming out of a deeply disturbed and troubled man. And now Netanyahu has said, okay, cool, we'll keep him out of the country. So now we have an ally of the United States that is officially barring two members of the United States House of Representatives elected by we the people of the United States from visiting their country. An ally of the United States that is one of the two largest, I believe they are the single largest, I might be wrong, the peace agreement that Jimmy Carter worked out between Egypt and Israel involved us giving billions of dollars every single year to both those countries, basically as a way of saying, okay, stop fighting with each other, and we'll give you lots of money. And I may be wrong on this, uh, if I am, I'm just a few years off, that Israel is the largest recipient, or one of, certainly one of the largest recipients of U.S. foreign aid. So, of course, if the President of the United States says jump, they're going to say how high. But should the President of the United States be saying this kind of stuff? I mean, this is so very wrong. And then on top of that, what are Tlaib and Omar being blocked from visiting Israel for? Exercising their free speech rights. In other words, speaking out against basically apartheid in Israel and the expanding settlements and things like this. And this is something that much of the rest of the world is speaking out about.
This is not just unique to these, you know, three members of Congress. And here we have Donald Trump debasing the office of the presidency. And I'm concerned tearing our country apart purely for political advantage. Well, actually, I don't even think it's political advantage. I think it's that these four women of color had the temerity to criticize him. And he is going to take them down. He is going to do whatever it takes to take down these four women, and specifically these two who were going to Israel. He's going to do everything he can to take them down. Why? Because he's a small, insecure, neurotic, arguably psychotic, certainly sociopathic man. And this is a tragedy for our country and the world. So Elizabeth Warren just uh, tweeted, and I just retweeted, along with the hashtag cancel the trip, and I retweeted it specifically to at leader Hoyer, which is Steny Hoyer's Twitter handle. So Elizabeth Warren tweeted, Israel does not advance its case as a tolerant democracy or unwavering U.S. ally by banning elected members of Congress from visiting because of their political views. This would be a shameful, unprecedented move. I urge Israel's government to allow... Ilhan Omar, it's at Ilhan MN and, at Minnesota, and Rashida Tlaib entry. And I also retweeted Dean Obadala, also with the hashtag cancel the trip. He's tweeting to Nancy Pelosi. He says, Dear Speaker Pelosi, please condition future aid to Netanyahu on the promise that he allow entry to all members of the U.S. Congress and that he won't discriminate based on race or religion. After all, we give him over $3 billion in our tax dollars a year. Please use that leverage. Thanks. That's Dean Obadala, one of my colleagues on uh, Sirius XM. Dean is also an American Muslim and speaks very eloquently about these issues. So anyway, pick up some of your thoughts. Julie in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Julie, what's up? What do you think about Trump creating a smoke screen because he's screwing up economically and in trade? I think so it's entirely possible. This is his way of distracting us from the bad news on the economy. You know, we'll right. see if it works or not. <laughs> but it's, yeah, he, you know. I mean, he seems to love to do this. Oh, yeah. He, he, well, like it's like all a bunch of idiots. Well, this is this is what NBC spent a million dollars teaching him, you know, with all the coaches wow. and the people who taught him how to do reality TV. Every single episode, you have to start it off with a bang. I mean, in Trump world, Trump reality show, the Trump president reality show, every day is a new episode of the series. Every day he has to figure out how to grab the headlines, how to grab the news cycle. But in this case, he's grabbing the news cycle with something that I think is akin to treason. Well, I agree. I agree. And Listen, uh, thank you for your show. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Julie. Good to hear from you, and I appreciate the call. Dottie in Chicago. Hey, Dottie, what's up? Yes. You're on Hi, the air, Tom. Dottie. Hi. Thank you, and thank you for everything you do for all of us. Much appreciated. Thank you. When you were talking about Joe Walsh's op-ed... I reflected back to part of an interview that I heard of Christopher Leonard, who is the author of Cokeland. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, my question to you is, are the Koch brothers behind Walsh's efforts here? And are they, are, are they going to come to any kind of fruition? Because 45, I don't call them by name, because 45 has such a hold on the upcoming nomination. Right. 
I don't know. And I don't know if Joe Walsh is, uh, you know, still, I'm, I'm not sure that he ever was personally taking money from the Kochs, but certainly you know, Koch-funded organizations were helping him in, in Congress. And whether the Kochs want Trump reelected or not, I frankly don't know. I think that they're very, very happy with all these federal judges that the uh, Federalist Society has been cranking out and throwing out of the court. I think they know mm-hmm. that at this point in the game, if any other Republican runs, they will almost certainly lose to a generic Democrat. And I'm guessing that they're focusing their hundreds of millions of dollars, theirs and their networks. And, and these days, by the way, David Koch is kind of out of the picture. He's not well. I mean, physically, he's not well. And so mm-hmm. it's basically his brother Charles running the show. And so, but he's got this network of billionaires that Donald Trump used to be part of, actually. And in the last election, I think they threw in, what, $800 million, almost a billion dollars. It's a mind-boggling amount of money. I think they're going to be focusing that money on individual state races because they want to get to 34 states so that they can call a constitutional convention and rewrite a constitution. And the U.S. Senate so that they can continue getting right-wing judges put on the federal courts. So I'm guessing that they're not going to be focusing a lot of attention on the, on the, on the White House uh, this time around. But time will tell. Okay. We'll see. Thanks a lot for the call, okay. Dottie. Good to hear from you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. You know, I spend a lot of time in an office chair at, at home when I'm writing, which I, I do, you know, four or five hours a day. I'm sitting at my, in my office chair at home here in the studio. I'm sitting in the chair on the air. Uh, it makes a huge difference having a truly comfortable chair, and that's where the X chair comes in. You you really need to try this out for yourself. And thanks to the X chair's 30-day no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction, you have no risk, so you can try it out now. Once you feel the X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, they call it DVL, you'll understand exactly why I love my X chair so much. Take advantage of X chair's new financing option and increase your productivity with the right model for you from the X basic to the X1 through the X4. X chair can fit your body and your budget. X chair's on sale now for 100 bucks off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's X chair, T H O M.com. Or call 1 844 4X chair. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWheels and you get a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair. xchairtom.com. Pam in Sutherland, Ohio. Hey, Pam, what's up? Um, I just was irritated. Well, I'm always irritated with a lot of things, but abortion on demand, uh, I'm under the impression that we do not give aid to countries who allow abortion even to speak of it. And yet Israel has a very liberal abortion on demand policy. And I don't hear the Democrats say anything about that. Yeah, well, that's because the Democrats are are pro-choice. And and by the way, if you have an abortion in Israel, I believe it's funded by the by the National Health Insurance Program. Yes, it um, is. So why are we giving aid to Israel? Well, you know, that's we don't a question. Give it to other, we don't give it to African countries or other countries that provide abortion, you know, which is a, a human right. I mean, it's my right to do whatever I choose to do with my body. Well, it depends but, on the country you we, live in, but yes, well, that's <laughs> true. I agree with you politically. Why are we giving aid to Israel if they are providing abortions? Yeah, this, this is a question to ask a Republican. Not me, <laughs> but I'm, I'm totally with you, Pam. And I would encourage you to tweet or to call, or I'm not sure where your town is in Oregon, but if you're represented by our one Republican member of Congress, if you're represented by Greg Walden, give him a call and, and ask him that question. I mean, it's a good one. Gregory in Baldwin, New York. Hey, Gregory, what's up? 
How you doing, Tom? My father turned me on to your show, and I'm telling you, I just adore your show. I adore you. Thank I appreciate you. what you're doing, and it's just amazing what Trump is doing every day to turn back the hands of time in this country and how racist he is. Well, and this, this, by race. the way, I mean, you know, this is bad for Israel to be in the middle of this fight. This is highlighting the BDS movement. It's not diminishing it. This is going to add fuel to the fire. This is not a good thing for Israel, what Trump is doing. Neither is it a good thing, frankly, for Netanyahu and Likud, in my opinion. Although I, you well, know, I would never what a, what presume to advise them. Is in Israel alone, they, more than 50% of Israel disagrees with the way Netanyahu runs the country. That's right. And his racist ways that he runs it, period. I mean, so they don't agree with it. And the wars that he strikes, like if three Israel people were killed, he goes and kills a thousand Palestinians. I mean, three to a thousand. Yeah, it's not That's quite that bad, but was. yes, uh, you know, the disproportionate you know, response has, has, time. has been their doctrine for... Died, he went and shot up and killed over a thousand yeah. Palestinians. Yeah, yeah. now, now in, in, in alone, Gregory, hang on just a second. In their defense, you've got uh, uh, Bin Laden kills 3,000 Americans, and we have killed, what, 100,000 Iraqis who had nothing to do with it? And I don't know, maybe 100, 200,000. I certainly would displace millions of Afghan people and uh, Afghanistan, uh, you know, uh, Afghanistan citizens and, and Iraq citizens. Why, why, is, why so. did America even allow Trump to, to embellish the military with all this money as if they needed it? Yeah. And we're getting out of every war and we're leaving Afghanistan. So eventually we won't even be in any war. Yeah. Why do they need all this millions for? Gregory, thank you. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? Yeah, Tom, there is a Supreme Court case you might want to look up. The title is Kent versus Dulles from 1958, where the court struck down the Eisenhower's administration that would be as the Secretary of State tried to prevent Kent from traveling abroad, denied them a, denied a uh, passport to him and a few other people because they, they said they were communists and they didn't want him associating with other communists. So this is absolutely unconstitutional. Uh, well, wait a minute. That was the U.S. government stopping a U.S. citizen from traveling. In this case, you've got a president lobbying another government to stop U.S. citizens from traveling. I, I don't think our laws prevent the, the president from speaking on Twitter. No, but the, the Israel cannot, as, a, as we have free travel between the two nations, and that means Israel can't say, oh, yeah, every other American is welcome, but not you. That, they can't do that either. Well, the but they passed banned. a law in March that says every American is welcome as long as they don't endorse the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. And and if you if you are on record, particularly if you're a high-profile person, as being a supporter of the BDS movement, Israel will deny you entry into the country. This is their law well, now. They passed it in March. So they can single out they can single out Americans and they not only can really they do. And how would they necessarily know if you were? You have to. Well, that's that's why I said that if you know you you have to have a certain level of uh, apparently media profile. I I don't know what the process is. It's been decades since I've been to Israel, so I don't know you know what kind of visa requirements they may or may not have right now. I don't know how far in advance you have to let them know you're coming. If you have to get a visa, then you know they could do I don't know a social media search. I I, I don't know how they enforce this, but they passed this law in March. And by the way, it's not just just for Americans. It's it's uh, to the best. Of my knowledge, it's anybody in the world who is a supporter of the boycott, divestment, and, and sanctions movement, the BDS movement, is barred from entering Israel, which okay. here in the United States, we would see as a blatant violation of our right of free speech under the First Amendment of the Constitution. 
Well, then they can keep me out too. Then I don't. I don't care. I don't want to go. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm not suggesting you should. Although I, I you know, I, it's a beautiful country, and there's a lot of amazing things to see there. And I think that this whole thing is very unfortunate. And I think Israel went way too far in saying that you know we're going to punish people for their speech, and you know we're going to forbid people from coming to the country. I don't think that's a democratic standard. I mean, that's like Saudi Arabia for years and years. Well, Egypt, for that matter. One, Louise and I flew to Egypt back. Uh, it was the week that Anwar Sadat was shot. And the airline that they had finally put together as a result of Camp David literally had no markings on it. it was, you know, it was like they couldn't even admit that it was happening. Anyhow, Paul, thanks for the call. Tom Arbin here with you. I wanted to talk about the serial killers the GOP loves. Totally bizarre story. The Republicans all love Ayn Rand, right? Ayn Rand, oh, she's just a wonderful person. Well, let me tell you about William Edward Hickman. Ten days before Christmas in 1927, Hickman was a teenager, slick dark hair and tiny muted eyes. He drove up to Mount Vernon Junior High School in L.A. and kidnapped a 12-year-old, Marion Parker, daughter of a wealthy banker. He demanded 1200 bucks from her dad as a ransom. That was a year's salary back then and signed his name, The Fox, on the notes. And after two days, Marion's father, Perry Parker, said he would pay for it. But what he didn't realize was his daughter was already dead. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette detailed it. These are Hickman's own words as he told them to the police. He said, it was while I was fixing the blindfold that the urge to murder came upon me. I just couldn't help myself. Got a towel and stepped up behind Marion. Then before she could move, I put it around her neck and twisted it tightly. He killed her. Then he cut her body up into pieces. And then he put her torso and her head in his car, sewed her eyes open so it would look like she was alive, and drove to meet her father to get the ransom money. He held a shotgun in the door to keep her father far enough away that he couldn't tell that his daughter was actually dead, picked up the 1500 bucks, got back in the car, opened the back door, and let the body fall out on the street, and drove off while Perry Parker, her father, fell to his knees screaming as he realized that all it was was his daughter's torso and head. This guy was the guy that Ayn Rand used as the model for her heroes in her books. She talks about it. I mean, she literally writes about it in her journals. And I've got an article up on Raw Story and on Common Dreams and on Alternate right now that has all the quotes in it and like that. Ayn Rand says, Hickman said, I am the state. What is good for me is right. She said it was a perfect articulation. She said, this is the best and strongest expression of real man's psychology I've ever heard. This is a guy who boasted about killing a 12-year-old girl. She says, the first thing that impresses me about the case is the ferocious rage of the whole society against one man. She said, it is not the crime alone that has raised the fury of public hatred. It is the case of a daring challenge to society. It is the amazing picture of a man with no regard whatever for what society holds sacred and with a conscience all his own. She said this is a brilliant, exceptional, unusual boy. He was the hero of the Ayn Rand novels. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. So I was sharing with you the story of William Edward Hickman, the sociopathic murderer who killed and dismembered a 12-year-old girl in Los Angeles in 1927. It was the crime of the century. In 1929, he was on trial. He was arrested here in Oregon. And this young woman who had just 
immigrated from Russia, Zinovina Rosenbaum. She shortened her name to Ayn Rand. She was just totally enamored by this guy. I mean, she was in love with him. A man who lived exclusively for himself. A narcissistic sociopath. The kind of man who would sell out his country for his own pleasure. The kind of man who would brag about grabbing women by the genitals because he could. The kind of man who would revel in the pain parents would feel when their children are torn away from their arms and put in freezing cages. Yeah, Hickman was that and worse. And Ayn Rand, describing him, said, this brilliant, unusual, exceptional boy was turned by the media into a purposeless monster. Donald Trump said his favorite novel was The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. It's the novel where the woman gets raped and then decides about halfway through the rape that she actually likes it after all. That was Donald Trump saying that he liked that. So Ayn Rand, when she's describing the character, Howard Rourke, she said, the model for the boy is Hickman, her ideal man. He is born with the spirit of Argon and the nature of a medieval feudal lord. This, these are quotes from Ayn Rand. Imperious, impatient, uncompromising, untamable, intolerant, unadaptable, passionate, immensely proud, superior to the mob, an extreme extremist, no respect for anything or anyone. And Ayn Rand made these heroes, these characters, in her novels that were based on Hickman. And now we've got this sociopath in the White House who's told, you know, 12,000 lies. He's telling 15, 16 lies a day on average, a sociopathic liar. And how did we get here? Well, Ayn Rand played a big role in this. I mean, the Republican Party loves Ayn Rand. Rand Paul, the story goes, Rand Paul called himself Rand rather than Randy. His name is Randall because he liked Ayn Rand. Who knows if it's true or not? He's since denied it. Ronald Reagan said, I'm an admirer of Ayn Rand. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson says, Atlas Shrugged is my foundational book. Every year, Clarence Thomas hosts a screening of the 1949 film version of The Fountainhead for his four new law clerks. Gary Johnson, who ran for president on the Libertarian Party, gave his fiancée a copy of Atlas Shrugged when they started dating. He said, if you want to understand me, read this. Mark Sanford penned an essay for Newsweek titled Atlas Hugged. I mean, this is the Republican Party and the serial killer, William Edward Hickman. The point of intersection is Ayn Rand, and it continues to be. The sociopathy that is just traveling through this party. So anyway, back to your calls and all the other things that we've been talking about. Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's up? This is not what I was going to say, but to me, Ayn Rand, she does encapsulate the true meaning of Republicans. They just have dark hearts, you know, deep down inside. I think that's why they cling to religion and everything like that, because they want to seem normal to the rest of the world. Yeah. And, you know, we're suffering from that. But and thank you. Thanks, Tom. Sure. Yeah. Good talking to you, Charles. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I'm hearing a jet go over right now. Uh, it's the military training exercises here in Portland. And, you know, it's the daytime. It's not a big deal. But, you know, when the jets go over at night, it can wake you up. But 
Not if you're sleeping really well and really deep. And imagine a bed, the pod by 8sleep, that actually adjusts its temperature throughout the night to help you sleep deeper, to help you sleep better, dynamically adjust the temperature, actually on each side of the bed. So you and your partner both have their own, have your own, uh, you know, your own customized bed, essentially, even though it's all one bed. Uh, it gives you sleep intel. They have uh, personalized programs. Uh, but you know, just the, the, this is the ultimate sleep machine. It's the Tesla of mattresses. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup only at 8sleep.com slash Tom, because the better you sleep, the better you everything, right? They already sold out their first two batches. They're going fast for a limited time. Get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash Tom. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Tom. Carrie in Chicago. Hey, Carrie, what's up? Hi, Tom. Okay, well, first off, Ayn Rand, rational selfishness, fourth-rate philosopher, fifth-rate science fiction writer, right. uh, the glorification of the worst aspects of human nature. You're spot on on that. But I kind of have an issue with the way you're talking about the economy. Okay. Because the only thing real, I mean, I'm coming from a having a degree in economics, so I'm not just talking off the top of my head, is the amount of goods and services produced. Right. The problem is when people can't buy those goods and services. That's what Keynes was talking about. Right. It's and monetary demand. policy never no longer works. Right. Well, he said, you know, build pyramids, build bridges and roads or whatever, but build you will. So, I mean, that's the real problem is, is that... We have this tremendous concentration of wealth. Who's going to buy all these goods and services? Right. Let me restate what I think you're trying to say, Kerry, in just kind of average English here. When John Maynard Keynes said, if you want to get the economy back on track, even if you have to hire one man to dig a hole and hire another man to fill that hole back up, do it because both those men will now have money in their pockets and they will go out and buy things in the local stores and those things will have to be replaced in the local stores which means somebody's going to have to manufacture them which means some manufacturer is going to have to hire somebody to do manufacturing and you're thus going to kickstart the economy and put it back into function this is demand-driven economics it's what adam smith wrote about in wealth of nations there's only that demand there's no supply side economics. correct you can't affect the supply curve correct evidence that you can affect the supply curve in any meaningful way. It's all demand, and the government is the consumer of last resort. Correct. So, so what's, this, where this are we disagreeing? Is not inevitable. This crash is not inevitable. It's just that these people that we have that call themselves Republicans have no idea how to run the economy. You know, they're all stuck on monetary policy. And, you know, they had a point. Milton Friedman had a point. He benchmarked all of the fiscal policies and found that it took 18 months from the time you implemented them to the time they took effect, which is different than the supply-siders who said they don't stimulate the economy. But, of course, there is no supply-side economics. That was a farce to begin with. But the problem is, what happens when you get into Keynes's liquidity trap? Right. Your monetary policy doesn't work. Your real interest rate's below zero. You can't get it <laughs> much lower than that. 
Right. Um, See, again, we're talking in econ speak here. There are basically two ways that the economy functions. One is through monetary policy, which is the government controlling the money supply and the availability of credit and the relationship between the two. And the other is fiscal policy, which is the government, for example, you know, World War II, spending massive amounts of money that stimulated the economy. Or before that, the WPA and the CCC, literally hiring millions of unemployed people to plant trees all over the United States and build the Hoover Dam, you know, put people back to work, put money in their pockets and created demand, which then stimulated the economy. And the Republicans get both wrong. They think that monetary policy can be used to stimulate the economy when it shouldn't be used for that ever. It should be used to stabilize the economy, except in a crisis. And they think that fiscal policy is irrelevant, that the amount of money that the government spends should be as little as possible when, you know, in fact, there are times when the government should be aggressively spending money in a stimulative effort. And that's the way they should be doing it, not with monetary policy. And there well, are other times... Your, your Ayn Rand rational selfishness. You know, it's the individual, right? The government shouldn't be helping out. The government shouldn't be managing the economy. And by the way, the Atlas Society and Ayn Rand are very much radical capitalists, you know, like monetarists. Oh, yeah. They're not as bad. And also these, uh, what's the guy's name? Rockwell? Lou Rockwell, yeah. Lou Rockwell. Yeah, these guys with these radical right-wing hardcore markets work always and everywhere. And Keynes actually... It's a religion. Yes, markets work always and everywhere, but... In the long run. In the long run, we're dead. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, another famous quote from John Maynard Keynes. Right. And the question that I always have for libertarians and followers of Ayn Rand, and for that matter, Republicans, is please name one country that has ever been run along libertarian lines, right, where the government they basically... Brazil, didn't they? No, where the government basically does nothing more than run the government, the police, and the court system. Please name one country that has ever successfully done that, ever. And there are Actually, not. They tried to do that in Iraq. Well, that's, that's exactly that's right. That was L. Paul Bremer's experiment. Right. And Rumsfeld talked about that. And these guys were fairly open about it. In fact, Naomi Klein wrote a brilliant piece about it for the nation called Iraq Year Zero. And what they were trying to do was prove, I mean, Iraq was the perfect, they thought it was going to be the perfect proving ground. Literally half the economy of Iraq, half of Iraq's GDP was government-based. The government owned about 70% of all industry in Iraq. The army was the single largest employer. The army owned a number of the larger factories, particularly the armaments producers. And so what they did when they came in, when we took down Iraq, is they fired everybody who was a government employee, including half a million men in the army and all the people who worked in all the industries. And then they said, okay, Iraq is open for business. And they expected, they fully, these guys, these idiots fully expected the capitalists from all over the world would go, oh boy, we can go to Iraq and there's no rules, there's no regulations, there's no limits, and we can rebuild that country and make a fortune. And instead, what happened? It descended into absolute hell. These people are crazy. I Yeah. Yeah, they really and truly are. Now than when I called you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go, Kerry. Thanks a lot for the call. It's good to hear from you, and it's, it's always good to talk economics with an economist. It's the Tom Hartman program. Viagra for your brain. Just don't tell Limbaugh he'll want some. I'll be right back. Stick around. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Speaking the truth, the multinational corporations would really rather you didn't know all about it. It's the Tom Harvey program.
This is the Tom Hartman Program. Today's book in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Impeachment, A Citizen's Guide by Cass R. Sunstein. This is from Chapter 1, titled Majesty and Mystery. It's an old story, and it's probably even true. When the authors of the New American Constitution declared, after their months of work in Philadelphia, that they had finally reached consensus, one Mrs. Powell shouted a question to the revered Benjamin Franklin, then 81 years old. Dr. Franklin, what have you given us, a monarchy or a republic? He gave this answer, a republic, if you can keep it. With those words, Franklin deflected the thrust of the question. True, he didn't refuse to answer a republic, he said, and not a monarchy. But in his view, the question wasn't what the framers, a band of good and great men, had given to the American people. The Constitution was not a gift. The question was what we, the people, would do with the framework that the framers had produced. The real agents, the most important actors in the nation's history were and are the you. You have a task, which is to keep it. And what you are to keep is a republic, which is what the American Revolution was fought to establish and which is opposed to what the colonies fought against, a monarchy headed by a king who could not be removed from office and who could rule as a tyrant. From the Declaration of Independence, the history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. Just a few decades before he spoke, Franklin's words would have been unfathomably radical, but he captured the spirit of his age. Here's Alexander Hamilton writing in the very first of the Federalist Papers, which defended the American Constitution to a nation that was sharply divided on whether to ratify it. Hamilton sounded a lot like Franken, though much more grave. Quote, it has been frequently remarked that it seems to have been reserved to the people of this country by their conduct and example to decide the important question whether societies of men are really capable of, or not, of establishing good government from reflection and choice, or whether they are forever destined to depend for their political constitutions on accident and force. If there be any truth in that remark, the crisis at which we are arrived may with propriety be regarded as the era in which the decision is to be made, and a wrong election of the part we shall act may, in this view, deserve to be considered as the general misfortune of mankind. Franklin, Hamilton, and their colleagues thought a lot about impeachment. In their view, the power to impeach was central to the establishment of, quote, good government from reflection and choice. Without the power to impeach, we the people would probably have refused to ratify the convention in the first place, the Constitution. Impeachment laid at the core of the founders' intricate and majestic efforts to balance the defining Republican commitments to liberty, equality, and self-rule with the belief in a strong, energetic national government. They achieved that balance with diverse features of the Constitution, including a four-year term for the president, electoral control, the separation of powers, and a system of individual rights. It is ironic that impeachment, regarded in 1787 as an essential component of the balance, is now little understood by the people of this country. As Exhibit 1, consider the 1970 pronouncement by Gerald Ford, then a member of Congress and later President of the United States, that an impeachable offense, quote, is whatever a majority of the House believes it to be at a given moment in history. As Exhibit 2, consider the 2017 claim by Nancy Pelosi, then the House Minority Leader and former Speaker of the House, that a president cannot be impeached unless he has broken the law. 
As you will see, both Ford and Pelosi got it fundamentally wrong. Their views make a mockery of the constitutional design. They are also anti-Republican, small-r Republican. In American history, three presidents have been subject to serious impeachment proceedings. Andrew Johnson, Richard Nixon, and Bill Clinton. During the impeachment process against Nixon, I was in my late teens. In a way, the controversy was inspiring. We the people were rising up against a president who had apparently done awful things. But I liked Nixon, and I didn't much like the Democrats, and I was torn. Riveted by the national debates, I wondered, are people trying to impeach Nixon because they hate him and his policies? Or because he actually did something terribly wrong? Like many millions of Americans, I also wondered, what is impeachment all about anyway? The very word was unfamiliar and seemed like a kind of relic, something from a bygone age. The nation and Nixon himself received an unforgettable civics lesson back then in the 1970s, but I'm not sure we got a full answer to either question. When I decided to go to law school a few years later, I can't say that I was motivated by the Nixon proceedings, but they certainly helped to inspire my interest in our constitutional system. Like many others in my law school class, I was certain that some courses would be focused on the intriguing questions raised by Nixon's resignation. Above all, what were the framers doing with that impeachment provision? What are high crimes and misdemeanors? But no class spent as much as a single minute on impeachment. It was as if the whole topic was irrelevant, part of history's dustbin, a tiny footnote to the real issues in constitutional law. Sure, we talked about the power of the president, about when he could make war, about what he could do on his own. Impeachment by Cass Sunstein. You know, a lot of people associate cannabinoids, uh, you know, medical marijuana, all this kind of stuff with, with uh, sleeping at night. And, and, and I know people who have used medical marijuana to sleep at night. I have myself, for that matter. Um, but it turns out that one of the most important characteristics of medical marijuana that helps you relax, relieves pain, reduces inflammation, is actually not the part that gets you high. It's the CBD, the, 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 rather than the THC, that gets you high. And pure CBD oil is available. This company, New Leaf Naturals, uh, Louise and I have been using their product for months now, uh, NU Leaf Naturals, uh, they make it what I consider to be the best CBD oil on the market. It's pure, it's 100% organic, it's highly concentrated, it has no additional additives, grown right here in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So it retains its, it's in its most pure and natural form. And uh, for information about this or to, to order some, go to newleafnaturals.com. It's newleafnaturals.com. Save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Boy, it's been a long time since we've talked to our old buddy Don Siegelman, the uh, former governor of Alabama, who uh, Karl Rove, in my opinion, uh, massively, illegally, immorally, and wrongly took down and committed horrible crimes against. Karl Rove committed the crimes. Governor Don Siegelman is on the line with us. Free-Don.org is his website. His Twitter handle is Don Siegelman. Governor, welcome back. 
Hey, thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be back. It's great to have you with us. It's been a long time since we've talked. I wanted to discuss with you, there's a bunch of things I'd like to cover, actually. Let's start with the death of Jeffrey Epstein. You, as governor of Alabama, oversaw prison systems. You, after Karl Rove got done with you, were in a federal prison. And I'm guessing you have more than a passing familiarity with suicide watches in prisons. Well, I volunteered for Suicide Watch while I was in Oakdale Federal Prison. Let me say that it is taken very seriously by wardens. The worst things that can happen in a prison is a murder of an inmate by another inmate or by a guard or a suicide because it reflects poorly on the warden and diminishes their chances of promotion. So they do everything possible to prevent a suicide at Oakdale, which is you know, a podunk prison in the swamps of Louisiana. There is a glass cell, a small glass cell, with a raised cement platform with a mattress on it and sheets. There is no overhead structure which could be used by the inmate to hang himself. There is no way for the inmate to hurt themselves without being observed for two reasons. One, there are guards watching 24 hours a day, three shifts, different guards coming in every eight hours, viewing the suicide cell. In addition to that, there are inmates who serve as volunteers and sit outside of the glass structure. Now, in Oakdale, I was participating in suicide watch for a young African-American who was, uh, you know, I don't know, you know what the situation was, but let me say they take it very seriously. If you say you are depressed, they will put you in suicide watch. So it just stands to reason that if the prison system will go to this much effort to prevent a suicide by an unknown inmate, they would certainly do everything humanly possible to prevent Jeffrey Epstein from committing suicide. Particularly, he wasn't just depressed. It was reported that he tried to kill himself three weeks ago. Right. They're not gonna. They're not gonna ever take their eyes off of that man. Right. But they did. I mean, the day that he was arrested, the FBI raided his home in New York City, the largest private residence in the city, which is pretty amazing. And the news reports were that they had found all kinds of photos and videotapes and, and even old, uh, you know, movies back in the days when it was, you know, eight millimeter movies, home movies, apparently of not just Epstein having sex with uh, some of these young women, but also some of his rich and powerful friends. I'm assuming that those are now in the possession of the Department of Justice, which is Bill Barr's department, which also ran the prison where Epstein killed himself, and then they raided his island. Now, why did they wait to raid the island, the private island, looking for more of this stuff? And what do you think? I mean, you know, maybe this sounds paranoid, but I remember, I'm old enough to remember J. Edgar Hoover who used to get this kind of information on people. He would, you know, pictures of John Kennedy having sex with somebody or sneaking into some place. I mean, he had dirt on probably half the politicians in the United States, and he didn't prosecute them, and he didn't leak it to the press. He used it to make sure that nobody ever challenged his power. Am, am I going off in some weird, paranoid direction here, Governor? Tom, I don't think you could possibly go off in any weird direction 
when it comes to the question of Jeffrey Epstein's, I'm going to say, alleged suicide. This is just my opinion, Tom. If he committed suicide, it had to have been done with the complicity of someone in the prison system who decided that they were going to take their eyes off of him. It is not protocol. And put him in a cell that's got some kind of overhead structure from which he could hang himself. Well, it's just totally an anathema to what the policy and rules of the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Prisons require for someone who has attempted to take their own life. So there is a breakdown. It's hard to believe, imagine, or fathom that something like this would happen by accident. So, no, I don't think you're paranoid. And I think that, you know, if you're going to preserve evidence, you do it the moment that you make the arrest. The judge is already geared up. He's authorized the search and the seizure of any and all documents of any kind, shape, form, or fashion. All of that stuff should have been seized, you know, at the time of his arrest. Yeah. This thing in the, with his private island is starting to look to me like a cleanup operation. But again, I don't know, you know where. When Bill Barr came out and lied to the American people repeatedly about what was in the Mueller report, and we all took him seriously. I, mean, I remember the day after he first told his lies about what was in the Mueller report, and I came on the air and said, well, you know, I guess we've all been holding our breath for a year for nothing. You know, this is a real bummer. And it turned out that Bill Barr was simply lying to us. And so I think that's one of the reasons why so many of us are willing to believe the possibility that there's more to this than we think. But anyway, we'll stop going down that rabbit hole. I'm curious. I want to pull this Bill Barr string just a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. Bill Barr was appointed to replace Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions, a Southern Alabama white boy, if you'll excuse the expression. Who you knew, right? Someone I knew and someone I have done battle with from the time I was Secretary of State in 1979 throughout my political career someone who was contemplating running against me in 2006 and whose ex-FBI agents, retired FBI agents, were the ones who built the case against me. But that's another story. But if you look at how Bill Barr, look at how Bill Barr ended up where he was. Trump fired James Comey. He fired Andrew McCabe. He fired Sally Yates. He hired Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions, fired Jeff Sessions, and then hired Bill Barr. If I were going to make a case that the Department of Justice can be used for political purposes, I would put Donald Trump on the stand as my first witness. Hmm. The second person I would put on the stand would be Karl Rove, because then I would follow his involvement in my case. The woman who blew the cover off of Karl Rove's involvement with the Department of Justice in my case was Dana Jill Simpson. She's one of my local heroes because I didn't know her. I never had met her. She was a Republican lawyer. She was involved in Republican politics. She was high up in the Republican establishment in Alabama. She was in law school with the governor's uh, Republican governor's son. And yet she came forward pointing the finger at Karl Rove saying she was on a telephone call with Billy Canary, the husband of my prosecutor, when Billy Canary said that he had spoken to Carl and the Department of Justice was already pursuing me. And besides that, his wife 
and another U.S. attorney were going to take care of me. And he was also the, the campaign uh, manager of your opponent in the election, was he not? Yes, he was. The okay. And by the way, Governor, we just have a minute and a half before we're going to hit a hard break here. Well, let me make a pitch here for Dana Jill Simpson. She has suffered a lot because of coming forward. The Republicans have cut ties with her. Her law practice has gone into the tank. She now has cancer, and she has a GoFundMe page. It's just Dana Jill Simpson. And I would encourage those who want to support a fine woman who was a whistleblower and uh, who took a lot of heat for being a Republican who came forward in my case for, to go find her on GoFundMe and, and help her out if you can. I will do that today. I will make a contribution. So in the, in the minute we have left, what's your prescription for cleaning all this up, Governor Siegelman? Elect a president who understands that we need a president in 2020 who will speak to the American people, who speaks to the working people. I look forward to following up on this after the break. Right. Well, we can't do it after the break. Can you come back next week and we can continue the conversation? <laughs> sure. That would be great. That would be great. Governor Don Siegelman, former governor of Alabama, free-don.org is his website. You can tweet him at Don Siegelman, S-I-E-G-E-L-M-A-N. Governor, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thank you, Tom. It's great talking with you. So welcome back. Let's check in with uh, Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and loving what you do. Alan Ratner's new book on the line with us is uh, former Ohio Congressman Bob Ney, also the author of uh, the brilliant book Sideswiped about how Washington, D.C. works and the amazing story of Bob's life. Hey, Bob, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'm glad to be on the show. Well, of course, the big story that catapulted to the front was the denial of the entry of our two American congresswomen to Israel, which was a reversal from a position taken last month when Israeli ambassador to the United States, Ron Dermer, said that the two would be allowed to actually visit the Palestinian territories. Was that a month Israel. ago? I thought it was yesterday, but maybe I was just no, skimming the article. That was actually, no, it was, well, it was restated yesterday, but when uh-huh. he actually said it, it was actually last month when he indicated, Ron Dermer indicated that it would not be a factor, American-Israeli relations continue, right. you know, et cetera. Right. But I was trying to rack my brain back. I know when we denied, actually, the current prime minister of India, Modi, was actually denied under the Bush administration to come here. That was before his election, was it not? Oh, yes. He's current Prime Minister Modi, but when he was the governor of the Gujarat region in India, we denied him. The only person in the history of America denied on a religious denial, actually. Well, it was because he was fomenting racial and religious hatred in his state. In the region. Yeah, in that region, which is how he became Prime Minister, too. I mean, he's following Trump's script. Right. And so I just wanted to mention, because somebody had asked on a couple of the previous shows that we ever denied. Sure, we've denied several people. Yeah, so here's a question for you, Congressman. As a political observer, you've got terrible news about the economy, and you've got Jeffrey Epstein's, the coroner, coming back and saying his hyoid bone is broken, this bone in your throat that typically is not broken when you're hanged, but is almost always broken when you're strangled. And so we can't say that his definite cause of death was suicide. In other words, it might have been homicide. So those two stories, you know, are dominating the news. 
Is this mm-hmm. Trump trying to change the subject, or is Trump well, Trump so consumed with hate for these four women of color who have called him out, two of whom wanted to go to Israel and two of whom are Muslim, that he just decided, hey, you know, I, I mean, he's if, if Israel doesn't want most Americans to know about the BDS movement, Trump just made sure that most Americans do. Well, to answer your question, I think it's several, and I was using the Modi example because that is not the same comparison as our congresswoman. Modi was after a diplomatic visa. Uh, That's why he was denied because of what he did do over there. Our congresswomen were not after a diplomatic visa. They were as a member of Congress goes all over the world. I racked my brain to try to think of a time when I was there, Tom, if any of us were ever denied to go anywhere. And I travel with people that we would go into countries, and some of those countries didn't like them or us, you know. Right. But we still were allowed to go. I believe that what Donald, uh, President Donald Trump is looking for here is a combination of everything you said. And he's looking for a big war reaction back on this, you know, an internal political war. Here was his statement today. This is actually breathtaking when you think about it. He said it would show great weakness if Israel allowed Representative Omar and Representative Talib to visit, Trump tweeted, they hate Israel and all Jewish people. Which is a complete lie. They hate Israel and all Jewish people, right. which is, it's a, it's a, when I say breathtaking, it's an amazing statement. It's to ferment, and it pushed, of course, Netanyahu's in a precarious election. So, you know, they reversed what Dreamer said before, you know, their ambassador. Right. They reversed it because, again, Netanyahu's in a tough election. But the fact remains, I think that the president is really by doing this and Israel taking their step, trying to get the Democratic caucus to get into a full-fledged back and forth on this, which could last, let's face it, two or three weeks. And yes, it wipes everything off the agenda, all the news off the agenda, and focuses on that. And then the hopes of political disarray within the Democratic caucus, because you'd have Jewish congressmen that would have to react to this. Right. Absolutely. He's waiting. This is a bait. And Israel has taken part of the bait and thrown part of the bait back over here, I think, to see what type of great big confrontation. And that's, yeah. I think. And I would say the third thing that Trump wants, wants off the headlines is that he just caved into China. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I must say, this is the first time you ever hear this out of my mouth, John Bolton actually mimicked more what Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, said, and uh, also, you know, the leader of the Senate Republican Mitch McConnell said the president was the odd person out with yeah. basically saying nothing and then yielding to them, in fact, on the tariff issue, too. Right. Yeah. On Hong Kong and the tariffs. And the thing with Hong Kong is just reprehensible, you know. Absolutely. It's, it's and, like, and very little said. To the best of my knowledge, Bob, in my lifetime, this is the first time a president of the United States has failed to stand up for democratic principles and human rights. Oh, yes, on the Hong Kong issue, you mean? Yeah. Although, well, actually, I guess the other time would have been when Ronald Reagan stood with South Africa during the apartheid stuff. Yes, that's true. He did. Yeah. So uh, this is a stay tuned on uh, this situation with the two congressmen. Yeah, I'm with you. Bob Ney, author of Sideswiped from Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Good talking with you. What do you think, Trump? I mean, you know, why do you think he tweeted this? Either he's strategic or he's insane or both.
We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 